maybe I don't need to re-emphasize this, but, uh, you know, communication is important, so I'm going to emphasize this as much as I can, all right? Starting this Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday in the church, we're going to be doing an entire church discipleship plan called Ashes to Fire. And Ashes to Fire takes us from Ash Wednesday all the way to Pentecost. So it's a 14-week... Wow, this is, this is hard to digest right here. Wow. All right, you couldn't have chosen the back row that's longer, huh? Okay, that's all right. <laughs> so, sorry about the diversion. Anyways, 14 weeks, we're going to be going through an all-church discipleship series, Ashes to Fire. The sermons are going to be based on this. Sunday school classes will be based on this. Wednesday night classes will be based on this. And, and we're really trying to just journey together as the entire people of God here. Now, uh, you can get a devotional for $10 that goes along for you to do your own personal study that will match up with the rest of the church. We have some ready to be purchased today even, right? If you'd like to do that, talk to Eric or Ed after the service. If you're a Kindle kind of a person, they've put it on Kindle this year. How cool is that? So you can just download it on your Kindle and follow it there. But this is, this is really an effort of our entire church to journey together as we, as we pray to see what God has for us. We want to work together through this very holy time of the season where we begin preparing ourselves for Good Friday and Easter. And from there, we begin preparing ourselves for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We're going to work on this all together. And so I'm really excited about that. And I hope you uh, sort of begin to build some excitement as well. And that you'll take your own way of joining in, whether it's attending a new class or grabbing a devotional or whatever it is, to participate in this whole church movement that we're doing together. Also, that reminds me, just again to say, that we're doing an all-church Ash Wednesday service this weekend, and for me, that's one of the best services of the whole year. I start counting down till Ash Wednesday months before it, because I think God really, really comes in a special way when you, when you do this very special service. And so I'm just anticipating God doing something phenomenal amongst us this week, all the way through the coming holy season. So I hope that you'll join us this Wednesday night, even if you're not a normal Wednesday night attender. It's one of those deals where you can swing in anytime between seven and eight and take as long or as little time as you'd like. All right? So be here. There's no better place to be in all of St. Petersburg at seven o'clock this Wednesday night. Right, Pastor Lamar? This is the place to be. So I hope to see you there this Wednesday night. Today we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9 through 12, and uh, we're going to kind of talk about what's happening in the first couple and then read chapter 11, all right? But chapter 9 is a very famous, very famous chapter in the book of Isaiah. And even if you don't read your Bible, you probably know this because it handles Messiah, all right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know all those words? All right. What's that? We're singing it for you. Yeah, okay, this, is, this would be the road to do it. But yeah, these are, these are great, great words. And, and it's basically a promise that God is sending through his prophet Isaiah that a child will be born to fix what is wrong with the world. Well, what's wrong with the world, you ask? If you keep reading on to the less famous part of Isaiah chapter 9, you see that God is angry with Israel, his own chosen people, his people that he's called out to separate themselves from the world, the holy people that he's made, the city on the hill, the light for the world, the salt of the earth. These are his people, and he's called them out, and yet they continually fail. 
And God expresses his disappointment and his anger in the rest of Isaiah chapter 9. But it turns out that God isn't just angry at Israel. If you move on to chapter 10 and you were to read that, God starts dropping this word, woe. Now, every time I say woe, I sound like I'm singing a doo-wop song in my own head. You know what I'm saying? Woe, woe, or something like that. But woe, God is, God is dropping these woes on people. Woe to those who make unjust laws, is verse 1. Verse 5, woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand this club of my wrath. Woe, all these woes. And these woes are against people like the nation of Assyria, who are oppressing God's people, Israel. Well, wait a second, God. You just said you were mad at Israel. Why in the world are you going to go after the enemies of the people you're mad at? Now, it wasn't that long ago that I was in high school, okay? When you're mad at someone, you don't defend the people you're mad at. You go and you find more people to be mad at them with you. So high school students, right? Help me if I'm wrong, high school students. If you're God in this scenario, you join up with Assyria because you have the same enemy. Isn't that how it works in high school? All right. And yet God here is saying, no, no, no. I'm mad at Israel, but I love them. They're my people. And I'm going to defend them in spite of my anger. Well, that's kind of a surprising turn for a human mind, I think. God has got plans through this son this unnamed son in chapter 9, God has plans to protect his people even though they have been disobedient. Even though they're distant, God has a plan of action in order to care for his people. His anger also burns towards the Assyrians, and his acts of woe is toward them. To his Israelite people that he's angry, he's going to give a son who will be a wonderful counselor. For the enemies that are carving out war against his people, he's got woe for them. Does that not say something wonderful for us today? The people of God, it doesn't matter how far gone you are, how angry you've made God, it doesn't matter what sin you've committed. God has a plan and a son for you. The story goes on when you get to chapter 11, and that's what we're going to read today. The words will be up on the screen here. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to it. We're just going to read all of chapter 11 together, if we could. And I'd ask you if you would stand with me as we read God's Word this morning. Chapter 11 from the prophet Isaiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. In faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. 
Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanish and Judah's enemies will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, nor Judah hostile towards Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will lay hands on Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea with a scorching wind. He will sweep his hand over the Euphrates. He will break up into seven streams so that men can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of the people that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. You may be seated. God, of course, has just spent his time burning in anger at the way the world is. He's mad at his people. He's mad at the people that are oppressing his people. God is mad here, and what is it that he's mad about according to chapter 11? Well, he's mad because someone needs to bring a, uh, bring a righteous judge to the needy. Someone needs to see with justice the poor of the earth. Someone needs to come along and be righteous in this world. And God doesn't see it anywhere. Instead, he sees brokenness. He sees poverty. He sees relationships that are damaged. He sees anger. He sees bitterness. Everywhere he goes, he sees just the world not quite as he had in mind when he had created it. There's wars, and there's famine, and there's, there's uh, families that can't get along with one another. There's a misunderstanding of who God is amongst his people. Everywhere he looks, God is distraught and hurt and angry. And he says, something needs to be done to fix all this. So he lays out a vision of what the world would look like. And he begins to talk about different animals doing crazy things. Lion eating straw with ox. An infant playing near the hole of a cobra. A lot of you have infants or small children here. Imagine a world where you could just let your kid run over to where the cobra is hanging out. You can't even imagine that, can you? You know the cobra's out to get your kid, and you know that the, the kid is going to start pulling at the tail of the cobra if the cobra doesn't snap. You know that this is not the kind of world that we live in. And yet here God is saying something different is going to happen. But when? You see, in the church, we've spent a lot of time talking about Christ shall return, and he will set all things right. There will be justice. There will be kindness. There will be right relationships. There will be proper praise when Jesus returns. But let's look carefully at the prophecy here for a minute. 
For unto us a son is given, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Out of the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. That's the line of David. Who are they talking about here? It seems that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. And so if Jesus fulfilled these prophecies, there's nothing else for us to wait for to make God's vision a reality for us. There's no second thing that we need for these things to happen. God has begun to work in Jesus Christ to give us all things sufficient and necessary to live as God's vision is. All right? We are waiting for Jesus to return again, but the reality and the truth of the fact of the matter is, is this prophecy says, when Jesus is sent, all things necessary for kingdom living will have been given to us. We have all that we need now to be an expression of God's kingdom in this world. There's nothing more for us to wait. Now, I'm not saying Jesus won't return. Jesus will return, all right? And that will set all things straight. But in this moment now, we have all that we need as the church to be an expression of God's kingdom in this moment at this time. So what does that look like? Jesus, or, uh, Isaiah here uses all these things to talk about the, uh, the ox and, and the lamb and the, the, sp- the snakes and all this kind of stuff. But what would that look like in our world today? What would it look like for a wolf to live with a lamb? Well, it would mean that the stronger would no longer see the weaker as a resource for life. The stronger wouldn't need to exploit the weaker to take all that they have in order to have their own life. What would it mean for a viper to invite a child into its nest? It would mean that we would not need to live in fear of one another. It would assume that the proper order of this world is peace, and the proper order is not violence. Why would the lion eat straw with the oxen when the lion could just eat the oxen? Why would it eat straw with the oxen? Because the poorer is sharing resources with the the richer. And the richer is not using its rights in order to exploit the poorer. Could you imagine a world like that? Could you imagine a world like that? We often talk about imagining that sort of world on the other side when Christ returns. But this prophecy says to us now that we can treat each other with the shalom and peace of God now for the sake of one another. We don't need to wait for Christ to return to begin acting like the kingdom of God is near. We can act like the kingdom of God is near now. We can live as expressions of Christ now. We can act as if Jesus is Lord of all now. We can reorder our lives so that others are more important than ourselves. Justice matters. We can make those decisions now. What what is being said here in Isaiah 11 is that When Jesus comes, when this root of Jesse comes to this earth, there will be a new way of living that is possible. A new way of living. A new way of living. You can treat each other with kindness. You can remove bitterness. You can build uh, unity amongst each other instead of having factions and looking out for what is mine. When, When this root of Jesse comes... 
things can be different amongst you, and you can be the people who God has called you to be. We make the mistake, I think, in the church all too often of assuming that Jesus will finally fix things when he returns. But Jesus fixed things when he died on the cross and rose from the, rose from the dead. He fixed things then. And so what does that leave the church to be? What does that leave the people of God to be? This is the most important thing I can say all day, so if you stop paying attention, try to pay attention now. That's cool. All right? This is the most important thing. The people of God, the people of God are God's expression of the future. All right? When the world looks at the people of God, what they should see now is what God's future looks like. All right? When a lost and broken and hurting world, a struggling world, a sinful world, when they see the church, they should see what heaven is going to look like. They should see people acting as if Jesus is Lord. They should see people acting as if Jesus has redeemed all of creation. They should see a people caring for one another more than themselves. They should see a people upholding justice in the world. They should see a people who are feeding the hungry and the sick and the weak of this world. If that's God's future, the world should be able to see God's future acted out in his people today. That is our calling in this world, is to be God's future, a prophecy for the world. So that when they see the church, they don't see infighting, they don't see yelling at television cameras, they don't see condemnation and guilt. When they look upon the church, what they see is what Jesus prayed for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what was in mind here when Isaiah was writing this. He said, look around the world now, it's a mess. But a Messiah is coming to straighten things out. We're lucky. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen this Messiah that Isaiah could only dream about when he's writing these words down. We have seen him. We live on the other side. Has the arrival of Jesus into this world made a difference in our lives? Has the arrival of in Jesus into this world made a difference in our church? Has the arrival of Jesus into this world made a difference in this world? Or are we still waiting for more? Has the work of God in Jesus Christ been sufficient enough for us? Or do we still need to see more? There's a very famous musician, an American musician from Indiana. His name is Joshua Bell. He's a violinist, and he's just a phenomenal violinist. What's that? You've you seen this video? Yeah, it's a good video. He's a phenomenal violinist, and he went into the busiest train station in Washington, D.C. the night after playing a very formal concert, and he just set up his violin and played. Person after person just walked by and never noticed. We're going to show the video. It's going to get ready right now. But as you watch this, just imagine if this is what Jesus has called the church to be. A place with incredible talent that's called to be just beautiful music for the sake of the world. And notice that at the very end, someone finally recognizes what's happening and stops and talks to him. Just imagine if the church could be that beautiful music for the world, set apart 
in the middle of all the busyness, in all of the lostness, in all of the craziness, just stopping and being beautiful in the midst of something that's not very beautiful. Let's watch the video real fast. Imagine if, if Jesus had given us so much and demonstrated so many things. He'd showed us the proper way to live with one another. And we, cared, we got to the point that we, we cared more about the enemy than ourselves. We cared more about the rights of the oppressed than the rights that I have. Imagine if we cared more about justice than we do. Imagine if we cared more about our neighbor at church than we do ourselves. Imagine if we were filled with the love of God instead of love of ourselves. We would be like a famous musician, a beautiful musician in a busy world. And the world may turn and look and say, what's happening there? What's happening there? Imagine if we said Jesus had done everything that was sufficient for me to live the way he's called me to live. I don't need to wait on heaven to make things right. I can be an agent of change in this world to bring about God's glory all around us now. I can show off how good God is in this moment. I could live like God owns the future now. Imagine what the church would begin to look like if we assumed Jesus had done all things sufficient for us to be his people even now. I'm going to finish real fast reading chapter 12, and that'll be on the screen. And just notice how after, after Isaiah says that Jesus is coming, that he's going to change everything, listen to the call in this song of praise, how it says immediately, when Jesus comes, it's worth praising, and then you must go. Listen to these words. In that day, that day that Jesus is revealed, in that day that the root of Jesse is seen, in that day that Jesus is Messiah, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. The song of praise is this. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what yesterday looked like in your life. It doesn't matter how our church has acted in the past. It doesn't matter how the people of God have been for 7,000 years now. That doesn't matter. What matters is that God is working towards your salvation. God is working towards your transformation. You do not have to be left and stuck where you've been stuck at. God is working for you. It doesn't matter how upset you've made him. God is working for you for the sake of transformation. And when he acts in your life, when you recognize that Jesus Christ did something powerful and did something powerful to transform your life, 
the song goes on to say, how could we but not tell the world of what God has done? The message is this this morning. God's future is available to us now. It's available to us now. And when we receive it and recognize it, we must model it and tell it to the world. This is what Isaiah is getting at, as simple as could be. God has plans for justice. God has plans for reconciliation. He has plans for this world, and we can live in that now. And we must invite the world through our kindness, through our unity, by putting our bitterness and our desire for war and anger to the side and saying God's activity in our lives is more important than anything else. And I want to be a part of that for both my sake, for the sake of my neighbor, and for the sake of the world. God has done enough in Jesus Christ to make that possible. We mustn't wait for his second return to begin his work of reconciliation. That should begin now. Our musicians are going to come and sing a final song. And if you're ready for God to do something powerful in your life, if you're ready for God's ministry of reconciliation to start in your heart now, if you're ready to be a part of unity and not division, if you are ready for justice to pour out of your life and not injustice, the altars are open. God is prepared to do something big amongst us. He can start with you right now. Isaiah lays out a vision for us where one day through Jesus the lion will lay down with the lamb wow that's powerful that that two people who are uh, opposed or two creations that are opposed together can live in peace with one another in the scripture that Jing read for us this morning in Revelation we find out at the end the lion is the lamb We are being created right now to be brought into Jesus' life. Not just come to peace with Him, but to actually be brought into Him, to be made in Him. Certainly, certainly it's about peace, but even more so, it's about becoming just like Jesus. May it be so in our lives. May it be so in our lives. You're dismissed from this place today. And I invite you to go and live a ministry of reconciliation and also live a ministry of justice for the sake of the world. You are dismissed.